again, Pastor Deborah here, and we are once again in another episode of Mental Health and the Forever Person. We are still in Series 2, The Three Realms, and we've been talking in the last few episodes, I think this might be episode 12, in the second area of the soul, dealing with mental health. Today, I sort of want to wrap up that section before we start the forever person. And what I want to talk about, since we've talked a lot about the many different mental health disorders and illnesses and how they're intersected, I want to talk about some of the treatment that they use to help a mental health issue in the soul. I just was at Lakeview yesterday, and in my spiritual care group, I always talk about the three parts of us. The physical body, where the psychiatrist is looking and working for blood chemistry, neuroelectrical chemistry, any brain tumors, head injuries, any kind of imbalance up here that he can treat with medicine that will bring a balance back to the brain chemistry. Also, he's looking to see if there is any damage done by drugs and alcohol, early childhood trauma that may have affected the growth biologically or the hormones or the genes or something. He's looking there in the physical body to see if anything in there that he can fix or medicate or maybe uh, hope that uh, in time will heal that something has been hurt or damaged. So he is a key or she is a key component to mental health because they have learned and studied that through trauma, head injuries, genetics, things happen up here and you don't have clear roads. It's like having potholes and roads or bridges down. Uh, the signals don't work. The chemical electrical solution is not right. Something might, that might be right, but the sending part might be wrong, the receiving. They know all this. And they know at the same time there's hormones, there's genes, and there's infections, and there's viruses. All kinds of things could affect somebody's mental health. The psychiatrists do believe that the mental health is a combination of a biological component, our body, and our emotions. Our thoughts, our concepts, they're interwoven, connected, basically one. And that's how. So now, if they get you and they determine you need some medication, a lot of people don't understand that. They don't want to do that. They think they can just figure it out. Some people can. But what is this stuff called counseling, treatment, support groups? peer groups. What is that? Is there anything else? Is that just talking? What's biofeedback? Acupuncture? Yoga? Uh, what are some other things? Conflict resolution? Smoking cessation classes? 12 steps? What all is this stuff? Where are they working? Typically, with all those treatments, they are working with the soul part of us, our thoughts, our emotions, our mind to control our physical body. We'll use biofeedback. Biofeedback is they hook you up. They can check your blood pressure. 
your heart beating. And they can see when your heart beats faster, you're under stress, which can cause problems biologically. So what they try to do is help you to learn how to calm your stress level down by thinking, breathing, slowing down the system. And they put monitors on you so you can see how that works. Some people get into meditation, breathing. It's all helpful. When you breathe, you're getting oxygen in. Same way with cigarettes. Are you breathing in aromas? They're trying to change the brain chemistry to help the biological body relax, feel peaceful. Because they know if they don't stress, builds up, the emotions are not at peace, and things happen. So also what happens in this area, they have counseling. Many different names to it, cognitive behavioral therapy, working with your eye movement, retrogression, hypnosis. They're trying to reach your subconscious part of your soul and help it. They're trying to educate it, teach it, help it to express its feelings out through the mouth and the biological body, release some of the pressure that's built up over many, many years so it'll come on out. They're trying to let some of the pressure, they call it, the memories out of the biological body out by talking, maybe crying. Uh, hypnosis is they put your subconscious into a sleep. And they go and they get past your conscious awareness to talk to that person in there. Some people do work with the inner child of the soul. Some people's little inner, they have parts of themselves that's still stuck, frightened as a child, and it needs to be addressed. People have memories they want to talk about because they've been silent. It builds up the pressure in the biological body. So in mental health treatment, and the word treatment comes from, this is a biological illness. You are a patient or a client. You need treatment. We have diagnosed the problem. Now we need treatment. And the people that are typically doing this, we'll call them mental health counselors, licensed marriage and family, licensed social workers, licensed professional counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists, their basic philosophy is this is a medical disease illness. Their language they talk to you about is from a patient-doctor relationship. They diagnose you with an illness, a disease. Their treatment, actually, okay, means you have something we need to treat. It's a medical problem. Their license is under medical. All their therapies are medically accepted under best practices. There's hospitals involved sometimes. There's insurance companies involved. Some things are approved by the insurance. Each DSM, uh, when they put the numbers down, has a protocol by their uh, particular profession. For instance, I worked with a, didn't work with, excuse me, had living in my house two girls who were diagnosed with multiple personalities, which has now become 
disassociative identity disorder. Both had stated they grew up in satanic ritual abuse, and their families were in it, and they ended up with a psychologist. And what happened was this psychologist, he was here, was brought here in town to help. And his expertise was multiple personalities, satanic ritual abuse. Now, in the field of psychology, there is something called multiple personality, which had become dissociative identity disorder. And on a scale of 1 to 10, on post-traumatic stress, it sits over here at number 10. And so they had protocols. And the insurance companies, they would pay for this treatment if they had been properly diagnosed by a proper psychologist and they got that official diagnosis. Then the insurance companies would pay for it. So all of this system was interconnected. Now, in my particular case, I had been one of them. So I knew the system. I knew the protocols. But when, this, when I took these people into my home, I had already become a pastor and a minister. And my area of expertise now was spiritual, working with the spirit and the soul from a spiritual context. So what happened was this psychologist and I got into a clash because he wanted to coordinate what I did with this person in my house. But he wasn't going to be held responsible if they burned the house down, killed us, because they were capable of doing that. So I had to write a letter and said, Sir, you're a licensed psychologist. Stay within your protocols. You do what the profession of psychology recommends that you do for this diagnosis. The problem was she had never been officially diagnosed by a psychologist or psychiatrist with multiple personalities. It was only a primary care doctor. So that would not hold up with the insurance company. So she was seeing this psychologist three times a week. And her she worked at a department store's insurance was paying for that. So they started questioning him. He said, had she been officially diagnosed by an official test? He said, no, okay, we'll get her. So they did that with another psychologist, and it came out. She only had post-traumatic stress disorder and depression and stuff, but not this deep one. So they weren't going to pay for that. So I knew that because she came home and told me. And when you have that system, multiple personalities, which is a whole nother. The master's level people do not get that teaching or training. Some psychologists do. The system will protect itself when it goes into testing. It won't reveal that it's there. So this young girl was quite upset that she didn't get that. So what I had to tell this psychologist, look, just follow your psychological protocols that have been set up to work with this disease, this issue. That's fine. I'm not going to be working in that mental health area. I'm going to work over here in the spiritual area. And I had to explain to him that the reason she had this was not that she had a disease or an illness. She grew up in a family, and her faith, which is religion or faith, spirituality, was Satanism. And her family grew up in that. And because of that, whatever they did, caused her to have this mental health issues. So religion, faith, serving and worshiping Satan, which is a legal religion in America. I don't know about other countries. 
caused her to have this problem. So her problem was caused by spirituality, spiritual beliefs, activities on that spiritual belief, concepts of that spiritual belief, traditions within that family of that spiritual worship and faith of Satanism, of Satan as their God. They're allowed legally in America to do that. That's no problem. And her issues in the mental health world were caused by that. I said, this is a spiritual issue we're dealing with here. She had already been determined to have some things that needed to be cast out. Some healing needed to happen. All because of this belief of this religion. Most of us, that's what we got. We got a mess. Religion brings us a mess. So she's over here now in my home. The psychologist, I have to tell him, I have the letter. You follow the mental health psychology protocols to dealing with what she has been legally diagnosed with and that the insurance companies are paying for. You stay there. Do a good job. Do what your training has taught you to do. Do it well. Help her. But the spiritual part, dealing with the Satanism, the spiritual part, all these things that have been created by the spiritual family culture traditions, I will deal with. So that's how I had to separate myself out. But did she have some areas where this psychologist could help her? Sure. And we want everyone, a team helping everybody. Okay? They care about people. They're just trained in different ways of treatment. So in this segment, I want to talk, well, what is cognitive behavioral therapy? Cognitive means mental, emotional. Behavioral means there's a mind and there's a behavior relationship. And we need to fix it. We need to teach some cognitive. We need to address your feelings, your thoughts. Why do you feel this way? How does that make you feel? Could you do anything different? They're trying to work with the feelings, the emotions, to change behaviors. They're trying to help the person understand their anger or their depression. They're trying to help them to um, release some of those bent up feelings. They're trying to help them understand that these bent up feelings, this anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, these feelings affect the physical body. Put stress on it. Now they call it muscle memory, but it's really not... The muscles and everything, they just work on nerves and they have their laws biologically to work with. What happens is the memories coming from the emotions and the mind up here. And they don't really know, like in PTSD, how come all of a sudden the memories come back. They come back while you're sleeping. They just, you get triggered and you're right there. <clears throat> and they're trying to figure it out. They don't, if they do MRIs, they're trying to see, like in Alzheimer's, is there any plaques 
Is there anything up here that's shrinking, that's damaged, that's hurt, that would cause this? So we are looking, they are looking biologically all the time. They do know that a person's emotions and feelings, concepts are interconnected and one with the biological body. They know that. And it could be if I see a light switch, some smoke coming from my biological eyes, see a danger, see something. Just takes a picture of it, brings it in. Chemical, electrical. My thoughts, my concepts, my training says either fire, smoke, or whatever. Now, if I've been trained and automatic response for survival is I either got to go over there and put that out or I've got to run one or the other to survive. So survival instinct is primary in us to live. Now, what happens as soon as I have my eyes see nanoseconds, I have a thought Hormones get turned on. The biological body goes into the already automated law, natural laws of survival. Adrenaline, cortisol, sugar, uh, stomach stop, boom, 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 boom. Nanoseconds. It's a law. It's built in. I see, brain thinks, body does, we do something. Okay? Then when the fire's out, and all the chemicals and the hormones we send back, sort of worked away, we crash. We've been on high intensity, alert, high sugar, high adrenaline, cortisol to survive. Now, if your childhood and everything you're hearing, seeing, perceiving, Keeps you in that state. It's called toxic stress. You are constantly in that mode of survival. And you can only go so many days and then you'll crash. You can only do that for so long before your body gets out. So there is this interconnection in mental health. They know that. So we have a doctor working on the body. We have a therapist trying to get your mind and your feelings and your cognition, your mental, emotional stuff understood, straightened out, untangled, get some pressure release, teach you how to release some of your stress, how to deal with your anger better, do better conflict resolution. A lot of this was never taught to us as children. We just plopped down in a family out of the womb and this, and we learn about life from what whoever was around us. Usually it's totally inappropriate. But we get through it. But that's our role model. So now we come back and go, that ain't working. I just can't punch somebody out when I'm angry. No, you go to jail, assault and battery. But as a child, you don't know that. You just see that's how you solve the problem. You yell, you scream, you do drugs, you do whatever, run away, something. So when you grow up, that's what you do. And you discover, but that's all I know. That's what I was taught. So that's where mental health therapists come in and they reteach you. Behavioral training. Okay. Sometimes they've done many different ways. 
you know, like pain and pleasure that will give you uh, shock treatments. Uh, that you'll see that a lot in mental health. They know there's some electrical stuff here. And if they can just shock it with electricity, they're hoping that everything will return to its normal pattern. Well, so that's why they have shock treatment. Does it work for some people? It's not real pretty. It's putting like having both lightning go through your brain. Then they believe, well, maybe uh, we need to change your diet. Maybe we need some more exercise. Okay. So they know this connection between biological body and feelings, and they're trying to work with it at both. So as a client or patient, which are medical terms, you'll have those two groups of people working with you. And they might say, well, we need to teach you how to de-stress, relax more. Um, maybe we need a better diet. That's for the biological. Maybe we need to get off the drugs and alcohol. That's changing the system. Uh, smoking changes. It puts nicotine in there, which is a stimulant. Some of us are doing stimulants, causing our heart to beat faster. <laughs> Some of us are doing depressants, alcohol, depressed. Some are having too much salt. We're retaining fluids. Some are drinking too much alcohol. So they, these two groups of people are trying to look at the biological system, get it back into balance. And they're looking at the mental, the soul, the subconscious, and see where it's hurt or wounded. It's angry. Teach it. Reteach it. Cognitive conflict. Maybe parenting classes. How to tell somebody how you feel without shouting and yelling and hitting. How to deal with rude people. How to have social skills. What we've learned in the mental health world, if you do substance abuse, whatever, and you start very early, maybe 10, and you do it for 20, uh, 10, 15 years, and you stop. What they discover is when you stop, there's probably been some brain biological alterations from all the drugs and alcohol, and your soul has been asleep, drugged out. It has not learned social skills. It's usually still an 8 or a 10-year-old. And so it has to grow up, has to get relearned parenting, how to be a friend, how to be a neighbor without punching out, how to get along with people because it never learned. And it still uh, wants to be loved and be a baby, but it's in a grown body. It wants what it wants like a baby, and it throws hissy fits. So that is where your mental health counselors, social workers, marriage and family people come in. Now, if you throw in on top of that any kind of abuse, neglect, abandonment, you're dealing with that subconscious guy who's empty. And he'll try to fill that emptiness with anything he can. If you throw on top of that substance abuse of any kind, addictions of any kind, this guy that's in the soul is trying to find joy, happiness, peace, through any means necessary. And he will use the physical body, the five senses, to do it. So these two are interconnected completely. 
And when you get into the mental health system, you will have these two groups of people working with you. And we have a mess that they are trying to straighten up. They have gone to school. They have studied. They love you. They don't like to see you hurting and in trouble and, and, and your families. They want you to be happy and have a wonderful life. They've gone to school to study this. They've taken state tests. They spend all day in the office listening to your stuff. You got an attitude. You got some issues and they catch the brunt of it. Why? Because they care about you. They're trying with their training to help you change your life and be better. They wouldn't wish this on anybody. Okay? But they, a lot of times, grew up in the same stuff. So in the mental health and the forever person, you have those two groups of people. And sometimes you're just trying to teach you how to eat proper food. Good nutrition. You hadn't been eating real well. Too much fat, too much sugar, too much salt, too much alcohol, too many drugs. It all affects the biological body. And then you have uh, health issues. And in the mental health, the therapists are trying to change your thinking, your concepts, your ideas, help you understand why do you do what you do? Why do you think the way you think? Well, why do you believe the way you think? Why do you believe that this is how you're to treat people? Okay, well, the person that abused you, they're dead. They, they're never going to say, I'm sorry. You need to forgive them. Well, I'm not going to. But the therapist know holding bitterness and unforgiveness affects the biological body. And some people go, I ain't going to forgive. I'm going to hold that and I'm going to make them pay. But they're dead. It's not hurting them, it's hurting you. So they know about unforgiveness. They know the problems if you have sexual addictions, substance addictions, gambling addictions, pornography. They know that. Maybe your heart's corrupt. You'll lie, cheat, and steal to get whatever you want. Well, how do we fix that? You're in prison now. You're in jail because you sold somebody else's stuff that you wanted. Because you wanted some money to do something. Why don't you go to work? So this is where mental health is trying to not only change your thinking, help you to understand it, then teach you some new ways of doing things for yourself with your neighbor. And they're trying to straighten out the biological mess that it's gotten into because they're both interconnected. And sometimes the, the biological brain and the, the stuff is so damaged, okay? And there's so much brain damage, sort of. And the soul is so ignorant and so hurt and angry. And it just isn't going to change. And sometimes... You know, your education, your culture, your family uh, is so ingrained that it will almost take a, a death to release you. And some people, that just isn't going to happen. So we have a mess with people.
So in mental health, everybody needs to figure, get in treatment, be with a psychiatrist, stay on your medication if you need to. If you need to change your diet, maybe some people, I know this one lady, she was taking cholesterol medication, and they told her she couldn't have pink grapefruit. Well, maybe some medicines, you need to change what you eat. We want to get the physical body as healthy as possible. Exercise, learn how to de-stress, eat good food. So sometimes you need to be in eating classes where you learn about what food is, what protein is, what carbohydrates are, what sugar is, what's best for your system. Because you may have some other health issues like diabetes and some things, and you need to watch that. Then you need to know about sleep, and you need to know about stress, and you need to know about how substance, alcohol, tobacco, uh, sugar, affect your biological body. A lot of education is required. And in the mental health, we hope that the therapist and the psychiatrist and that two groups of people will be helping you to learn all of these things so that you can make the changes in your life and help yourself so that you don't have to end up getting any worse. So, in this final section, these two groups of helpers, the psychiatrist or medical doctor, they'll be there in case you get, as you know, suicidal or think you're going to hurt somebody. And uh, they'll be there for you in the hospitals. Don't be afraid of them because they're trying to save your life if you get what they, you know, sent to a hospital. And they don't want you to hurt anybody else. And the only, a lot of times you don't stay long. They get you on some medication so those thoughts will go away. And then they want to get you in therapy and groups. What groups are is a group of people that are like you been through this and they all get to talk and they support each other and hug each other. There's some great programs called Celebrate Recovery, A-A-N-A-C-A, Adult Children of Alcoholics. Everybody has problems. There's support groups for suicide. If you're in grief and mourning, there's support groups. If you have AIDS, there's uh, every kind of depression. Okay? A lot of this mental health stuff, you kind of are isolated and you keep it to yourself. You're a little ashamed of it. The family's ashamed of it. Big stigma attached to it. You don't want anybody to know that you have a mental health. So you kind of hide. But you get in your support groups, your peer support groups. They're online. They're in your town. They're at the hospitals. If you have mental health centers or your therapist, they'll, they'll let you know. They're out there. You can go physically. You can be on the social media with it. Uh, you can have it in the faith-based groups. Those are real powerful. It is peers talking to each other, supporting each other. And some of you might be grieving and in depression. And you need to be with other people. Maybe a social worker will be there to help you through the grieving and depression. Okay? And there's support groups. Uh, just look for it. You need that. You also need to be involved in volunteer activity where you get some happiness and you are helping other people. You might need to change your diet. 
You might need to help to learn what to eat, when to eat. Uh, you might have to change your sleeping habit. So a lot of things may need to change to bring a balance to get everything the best optimal mental health condition you can have. Life is stressful. You have to make a lot of decisions. You have to deal with society, yourself, your feelings, your family, people in Walmart, out on the cars. Okay? And when somebody cuts you off, you don't go into road rage because you're angry over something. You don't take it out on it. Okay? We have to learn. So there's a lot of learning, education. That's the role of your mental health therapist, your social worker, marriage and family, because they understand all that. They understand the connection between the physical body and the mind. So for a long time, that's what you're going to be working on. And you need the treatment. I, I run into people who have been victims of childhood sexual abuse. And it's 50, 60 years later. And they're still claiming to be victims. And they're still dealing with it. And I have to ask them, well, how long have you been in therapy and working with somebody? And they quit going. They just put them along. But they still claim it. So sometimes you also have to change your language. Some people just ask me yesterday, I'm always going to be in recovery. Well, I don't know. Are those words that give you hope? An encouragement? Are you always going to try to just say, hey, I'm improving myself. I'm getting better every day. That sounds a whole lot better than I'm always in recovery. I am still a victim. I am just a survivor. I've just survived. Or could it be, hey, something bad happened to me, but guess what? It didn't hold me back. I'm moving on. I have learned things, grown, developed. What about those guys that go off and they lose both legs and they have to get prosthesis? And they got families and kids. They don't sit there and dwell on what happened to them and what they lost. They get up. They get their strength. They get their family. And they go on with living. And here is somebody that had a sexual abuse or something as a child. And they're still stuck there. Why? Good question to ask your therapist. Some people develop that identity. That's who I am. That's who I'm always <coughs> excuse me, going to be. And you can't change it. And I like it. I get all these benefits. Everybody feels sorry for me. I'm on disability. Because I can't work. <coughs> I can't work. Is that you? Are you one of those overcomers? Even though some people lost... About the guy with no arms and no legs, Nick. He's the most happiest person, and boy, did he get dealt uh, something. And stopped him. He serves, has a kid, has a wife, doesn't have any arms or legs. How can he be so happy? And some of these wounded warriors that lost their limbs. How about the guy that got burned? How can he be so happy? Bad things happen to them. Physical things. How can some people have childhood sexual abuse and come out and be powerful overcomers and others can't? What's the difference? How can your story of what happened in childhood 
Are you still massaging it? Living in it? Wanting people to feel sorry? Or are you using it to say, hey, bad stuff happens. But I overcame it. You got all your arms, all your legs. You didn't go lose your legs in a bomb. They're running marathons. So some people in therapy, they have to discover that maybe this is their badge of courage now, their honor. This is who I am. And I ain't changing. And I ain't letting go of this. Because this is all who I am now. And I don't want to grow up. I don't want to be healed. My brother was that way. He was had a lot of issues in childhood. I didn't know what they were. And when he got older, I prayed to God to heal him. He was diagnosed with manic depressive disorder and borderline personality. And I prayed to God and God said, I want to heal him. I have the power to heal him. But your brother does not want to be healed. And I will not violate his free will. If I did heal him and he doesn't want it, then I am as a rapist. I am forcing my healing on him. And he doesn't want it. So some people don't want to be healed. They want that handicap sticker. They want the disability. They want the identity. They want to soak it for everything they got. They want to blame somebody else. They don't want to be responsible for anything. They don't want to forgive. So I had to eventually kick him out of my house after six years and never prayed for him again. Now he's dead. He's gone and he's in heaven. He is healed. But on the earthly life, it wasn't going to happen. He never sought therapy. He took his medication, but he never went to counseling to see what is wrong with me. Because he always blamed it was somebody else's fault, and he did not want it. He didn't cause it, and it wasn't his fault. And he was going to make people pay, which were his parents. So sometimes people do not want to be healed. I always ask him, hey, you got a problem. All right, everybody gets sick. Now, you got a handicap sticker. You're on Social Security Disability. Yep. Okay. If God heals you or you get well, you have to give up your handicap sticker, your Social Security Disability, and you got to go to work 40 hours a week like the rest of us. And they go, what? I don't want to give up my money. Well, honey, you can't be healed and have the money. The money says you're just a, you become a robber, a thief, and a liar. So sometimes you have to ask yourself, maybe you don't want to be healed. Maybe you don't want the benefits of a psychiatrist. I've had other people say, well, my religion tells me not to take the medication. And God will heal me. Well, maybe you don't really want healing. Maybe you don't understand what the healing is. Or you don't want to change anything in your life. Maybe you don't want to forgive, but you want benefits. So you got to ask yourself, when you get here, there are people here who will help you if you want the help. Doesn't mean you're going to ever have to go off your medication. You may be able to. You may have to be on it the rest of your life. Maybe so much damage has been done biologically that you're going to need it. A lot of people have to take uh, all kinds of medication. Get a team involved. Get that fighting spirit. Go to battle. 
learn, get educated, become an informed patient and client, look it up, get in support groups, volunteer in the community, learn how to have social skills, learn how if you have to let go of some friends and change some uh, attitudes and traditions in your life and eat better and sleep better. If you want to be healthy, be the best you can be. Okay, maybe you got to be on medication. Maybe you got to be in therapy for a long time. Maybe you have to learn how to control your breathing when you get upset. Maybe you have to learn better parenting. Maybe you have to learn how to talk to people when you get angry. Maybe you have to learn not to eat to comfort yourself. A lot of learning goes on. That's what your therapist and your counselors do. Maybe you need a coach, a mentor to be there and support you all along the way, along with your therapist and psychiatrist. Get a team of people helping you. And if you really want to get the fullness, you throw in the faith-based community, the pastors, the support groups. You get loving people in your life that will make sure you stay on the right track. They love you. They care about you. Get a lot of people helping you. Because everybody cares. Now, each person has a different part. They may not know, understand how to help you do something. But they can love you. They can give you a hug. They can be there for you in the middle of the night. You can call them, email them. Get a fighting team together. Ask questions. Maybe you always have to... Maybe you always be diagnosed with it, something, and have to take medication. Okay. But you may not ever have to be in the hospital again. You may not ever get suicidal again, end up in jail or prison. It's okay. Those guys will never get their legs back, but they go on with life. And they make, and they show that, okay, so they lost something. Something was taken away from them physically and emotionally. But they don't let that stop them. Some people, they still, we all need support. So in this final sort of series of the three realms on the mental health part, therapy, treatment, all kinds of help and coaching and mentoring and support groups and peer groups and nutrition groups, you need it all. We're dealing with the biological body, we're dealing with the soul, its feelings, its thoughts, its concepts. You'll be reading a lot of books, watching a lot of movies, a lot of true stories out there. You need to be around inspiring people that can help. So I wanted to kind of finish up this particular uh, section on series two. I think this is episode 12. And what I'm going to do then on the next one is we'll start with the forever person in the three realms and go through maybe you know many different episodes so you can get an understanding of who the forever person is then once we have all those sort of basic things we'll start going into how do we bring healing to each of the realms how is it all interconnected what are some of the illnesses spiritually that affect? We'll just keep on going. It's all in inter- And how the faith-based community, spiritual care, 
is a part of our life. The three-part system. The three realms. How they're all interconnected. How it needs to be at the table as an equal partner. How it is out here in the community for you. So you will know that we have to get that part also engaged in helping. Enjoy this episode 12 of Mental Health and the Forever Person, Series 2, The Three Realms. Be blessed and see you next time. Pastor Deborah.